So after World War II and uh, Eisenhower was president, they developed this U-2 plane that was very small and was able to fly like 70,000 feet in the air and the Russians wouldn't be able to see it using their radar or even with their naked eye. So this gave the United States a huge advantage over the Russians where they could take reconnaissance missions and take photos of all the um, intercontinental ballistic missile bases that the Russians were putting up. But they didn't want to use it because they didn't want to fly over Russia and sort of this is kind of like an act of aggression so they didn't want to do that and so they went to Russia and Eisenhower basically suggested that they they have an open skies initiative where either country could fly planes over the other country and they had and they would have this agreement and the one of the Russian leaders was really open to this idea but Khrushchev who led the Russians he was very opposed to it because he was prideful and he just he, he thought that they were going to be like spying on their homes and whatnot. But they didn't know that the Americans had the U-2. So Eisenhower just went ahead and did it anyway. <laughs> and so they ran like 24 of these missions where they uh, did reconnaissance over these Russian missile bases. And on the very last one, just before a summit where uh, Khrushchev and Eisenhower were supposed to meet, the Russians saw it and they shot it down. It was the most ambitious mission they had done yet. And they even captured the pilot. And Khrushchev was so upset at this sort of breach of trust that just before the end of Eisenhower's presidency, that it completely ruined Russian-American relations for the following presidency, which was JFK. I know this is kind of like a roundabout story, but the reason I'm telling it is that negotiations have consequences. Negotiations have consequences, and and when you break your word, it has consequences. So I'm going to read to you from Hebrews. Because I think this says something about the way God views his people. So he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he has sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. I'm going to read that again. How much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. A sorer punishment. A sorer, a sorer punishment. Will he receive, shall he who was thought worthy, who trods underfoot the Son of God? What this is saying is when you're brought into the covenant, when you are born again, when you are regenerated, when you are brought into the adopted family of Christ, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility not to trod under your foot the Son of God. You have to honor 
I mean, you should. You should honor. This is a moral obligation that he's talking about. You have a moral obligation to honor your Savior. This man who died on the cross, but not just died on the cross, suffered for hours and days, who condescended to the human estate, who God became man, God became baby, God, the most powerful, omniscient entity of all time, eternally, shrinks himself down to the size of a babe in a manger, condescends to the state of human beings, lives a whole life, ministers, accepts all the punishment and the humiliation of being a person, of being, uh, you know, not being a prophet in his own land, right? He goes to his own home in Nazareth, and they tell him, oh, this is the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, sort of implying that, you know, they knew that Mary had this child uh, before the wedding with Joseph was uh, consummated. So, I mean, that was an insult. So he goes home and they insult him and he goes through all that and then he goes through the passion. He suffers in in Gethsemane. They scourge him. Scourging meaning like being whipped with metal barbs. And then he goes to the cross and he's crucified. And he dies in front of his family. Humiliated. And that's what he did for us. And so what Hebrews is saying is he thought that we were worthy. He thought as a part of his creation, not because of anything that we have ourselves done, but because of something that he's put into us, the love, the creativity, the, the, the divine thought that went into creation is made full in the image of God that he puts in within within us. And he looks at that and he sees that we're worthy. And so he dies on the cross for our sins. And then still, how many of us fall away? And how much sore will the punishment be? Those who trod underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant, the blood we were just talking about, the blood on the cross, and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. Wherewith he was sanctified, what does that mean? He means that Christ himself, I mean, the he here could be referring to the Son of God and the sanctification of the Son of God being made perfect in this finishing, completing act of self-sacrifice and generosity towards creation. Or it could be referring to the he being the person who trods underfoot the Son of God, that we are sanctified in the blood of Christ. who trods underfoot the blood, the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing. So when you, as a Christian, a regenerated, born-again Christian, do not honor your Savior, what are you doing? You're counting his sacrifice an unholy thing. You are chalking what he did for you up to unholiness, which is is what? Is, is I mean, is it a blasphemy of the Spirit? I, I can't make that connection for sure, but it it seems to me to be absolutely one of the most devastating sins that you could possibly commit. Counting, what does it say? Is it in Isaiah where it says that the the wicked will call bad things good and they'll call good things bad and up will be down. And this is the world we live in now where where the world calls good things bad and bad things good and and will try to confuse you and, and, and sin runs rampant in the world and Satan runs rampant in the world. 
But here, but here we have the idea that he who is thought worthy can reject this and count the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing, despite the spirit of grace. And then it goes on and says, We know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, I want to be encouraging to you, but on the other hand, I want to... There seems to be this idea that because God is all-powerful and has the ability to imbue you with grace and you have a mo- you, you, you are regenerated in a moment immediately by the power of the Holy Spirit and you can never fall out of his hand that because of that you know what does it say it says you know all of our sins only add up to the glory of God but that's not an excuse to sin and that's exactly the truth that's exactly the idea here is that it's not an excuse to sin it's not an excuse to dishonor the lord it's not it's, it's not an excuse to count his sacrifice an unholy thing and so we need to be fearful we need to be fearful of god because fear of god is the beginning of wisdom and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living god and what does romans 12 say it says be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the continual renewing of your mind. The renewing of the mind. The refreshing of your ideas. The challenging of your currently held assumptions. Wherever you currently are, first of all, even if you are a regenerated child of God, even if, if in this moment here, when there's two or three or more of us gathered, and we know the Spirit of God is present here among us, even in that, that state, you are not perfect you're 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 only perfect in christ but your life beyond that outside of that is filled with sin filled with mistakes this morning i almost ran a red light you think i'm sin free i'm not sin free and i thought about it too i had to smash on the brakes and even that was a mistake because you know there's a graceful way to run into a to to stop at a red light and there's a there's a non-graceful way and my point is that we need to pray constantly. We need to pray without ceasing. We need to constantly challenge whatever base state of homeostasis we've arrived at. Like when we're complacent and we're calm and we think that we've arrived somewhere and you know we think that, okay, all we got to do is show up on Sundays and maybe I'll show up every couple of Wednesdays and maybe I'll be you know five minutes late to the song service, but it's not a big deal because I'm saved by grace. No! Get better. All of us. I was two minutes late today. Get better. We need to... Because why? Because we want to honor our Savior whose blood sanctifies us. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be made into something. It means to be made holier. Made holier. We are so blessed to have a God that not only created all things, but participates in all things. That sustains all things. That holds us up. And that blesses his this creation i mean he blessed us with free will and then we immediately go and just defile all of creation with our free will and create a sin-filled earth and not only that but we 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 look at the sin-filled earth and, and 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 even the regenerated christian can barely like 
contain himself from participating in it and like the you know half an hour or whatever you know the, the hour long part of the week that we all come together and we know we have this guarantee that the spirit of god is with us that should not make us more complacent it should uproot us we should be moved we should be sanctified we should be renewed we should go into this week something different than we were the week before do not despise the spirit of grace. Do not count the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing. Count it as the holiest thing, the greatest gift that you've ever received because it is. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. If you all would pray with me. Dear Lord, Father in heaven, thank you so much for this blessing of this fellowship, of this worship together, Lord. We're just grateful that you would that you would come down, that you would be present with us in this moment, just because we're gathered together, just because, just, just because of you, Lord. There, there's no because that we've provided. The cause is you. And you have blessed us, and you continue to bless us every single day, Lord. We have so much to be grateful for. Please make this week a week of renewal, a week of learning. Lord, do not let us become stagnant wherever we are, no matter where we are in life, Lord. Push us into grace. Push us to be sanctified, Lord. We can only do it through your strength, Lord, through your sustaining hand, Lord. (sighs) Forgive us for our sins, Lord. Have mercy upon us, Lord. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I'm going to go to uh, a favorite verse of mine. It's in Psalm 1. It's in Psalm number 61. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. This is David uh, speaking to the Lord in a prayer request. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy holy ta- in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I, might, that I may daily perform my vows. Recently had a uh, phone call with a minister that's a very good friend of mine that lives uh, in the extreme south. And he was he was uh, pretty down, pretty discouraged. And he said, the attendance is down. He said, the participation is down. And he said, I'm wondering myself if I'm the problem, if there's a solution at hand other than myself. When I consider and talk to 
ministers and am aware of the situation that churches are dealing with across the country, I find that he is not isolated in his thinking, but that that is uh, a common thinking in many, many areas. And I told him, I said, first of all, we need to remember that we're in the middle of what's titled a pandemic. It's my nature, and I feel like my responsibility to encourage people to come to church. And this is the first time in my whole life that I can't freely encourage folks to come to church the way that we've done in the past. Every church that I know has a variety of spectrums on even certain things as simple as wearing masks. I mean, it's a shame. I, I'm aware of some churches that, that Satan has gotten involved and folks have dug their heels in and taken such strong positions that it's caused friction within even various churches. And some folks take the position, well, I'm not going to attend if other folks won't wear a mask. And some folks say, well, if I have to, I won't attend. I've heard some of those positions. It's hard to know where the proper place to land is with this COVID challenge within my own family. You say, well, I didn't know you had much of a family. I, I have sisters and I have nephews and nieces and I have parents. And I can tell you that within my own family, there's a whole spectrum of views of where we should land on it. I'll share my personal experience. That's all I, I, I share my personal experience. First of all, right now, I know three folks that are in the hospital, two in ICU and two that are um, younger than I am that are struggling with this illness. I also know, and I share this by God's grace and give God the glory for this, that about, I say this, I trust I say it humbly and give God the credit and God the glory for it, 100%. When COVID hit early on, I found out that um, the assisted living business is not a very good business to be in because it's almost like a target for COVID. And it hit us hard at one facility early on, and it was, it was very, very difficult. We were learning and we were finding out that there, we were sending folks to the hospital and they would send them back on Tylenol and hospice. About 
two and a half months ago. And I share this with you. If, you. if it's of any benefit, you can share it with others. I sent Brother Mark the link to it. About two and a half months ago, I was, I was uh, sent a link of a doctor in Texas. A friend of mine that knows that we're in the assisted living business sent this link. And he said, watch this interview of this doctor. And this particular doctor said that he felt like that God had blessed him to have a treatment. May not help everybody, but it helped the folks that he was treating. And since that time, he's treated over 400 folks. And to my knowledge, not a single one of them has passed away. It's not an extensive treatment, a simple, basic treatment. But he told me, and we were frightened to death. He said, you don't have to be overcome with fear. We've still, through the course of the last several months, had what was classified as outbreaks. If you have one person, whether it's staff or a resident, that tests positive, and we test everybody once a week, it's considered an outbreak, one positive. Most of the folks have not even shown symptoms. It's kind of like um, Chris Fulmer's sister who works in Atlanta at a hospital. She said it's almost like it's two totally separate illnesses. But since then, we've had some that tested positive. We've gone through the quarantine. We've done all the things that we know to do. We've had some residents that test positive and we've taken, we've been blessed by God to take a proactive approach and apply what this simple treatment this doctor gave. And by God's grace, every single employee and every single resident has recovered. Two weeks ago, we had a 91 year old that was positive and recovered. So I share with you that experience. We have the president right now in the hospital. Who knows exactly what his condition is or how he'll recover from it. I pray that he will. How do we know? If you listen to the news and the media. Some of the purpose is to plant and they're very good and successful. And create fear. And how much of that do we write off? 1%? 100%? Or how much of it is real? How can we go out and invite friends to come to church when there's such strict mandates that are going out across the land? I just have been working with the folks in New York and and it looks like that we we may be able to start having services at at the the last of October and but it's with it's with extreme and great caution and precautions that they're even going to allow a small group to come together and meet What do we do in a situation like that? I I really thought early on that this would be all over in about two or three months. And I was completely wrong. 
Do we see an end in sight? How are we as pastors, as churches? I, 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 could, I could cite it specific examples of churches around that are experiencing exactly the same thing that we're experiencing because of, of all of the anxiety and all of the unknown that's out there. And so where do we land in that and what are we supposed to do? The psalmist says, and I only give you this one example. The psalmist says, when my heart is overwhelmed. I can tell you that there's a whole lot of ministers across the country that their hearts are overwhelmed. I can tell you there's a whole lot of churches that they're overwhelmed. I can tell you that when we look at our own lives, that we don't have to look very far before we realize that it's very easy that we become overwhelmed. We can look at the families. We can look at the country and all of the anxiety that's that's going on in the country in which we're living right now. Uh, Someone told me just recently said we're living in troubled times. There's a sermon that Brother Bradley preached years ago that said when the enemy, the title of his sermon was when the enemy comes in like a flood. One of Satan's greatest attacks One of the greatest attacks that Satan has is to cause God's people to get to the point that they become overwhelmed. Anybody here ever get overwhelmed? I'm so glad I'm about the only one. I hope you don't. But if you do, there's some help on the way. Doesn't matter what it is that overwhelms us, whether it's the climate we're living in, whether it's the family struggles, whether it's all the anxiety that's going on in the media. And, you know, we're, we're facing an election and and the president being in the hospital. I know folks that are are worried about that. And and there's so many things that can cause uh, it, 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 it's very apparent that if parents have children, there are things that can cause them to get overwhelmed. Uh, uh, grandparents can become overwhelmed or we can have health issues that cause us to become overwhelmed. And so Satan's attack and his approach is for us to become so overwhelmed that we give up, that we just simply pitch in the towel and give up. I mean, nothing would delight Satan more than for churches across the country to just close their doors. You know, if that were to happen, I, if, if, if for some reason Mount Carmel closed, I'd be looking somewhere else to try to find a place that I could worship the Lord. I would. I'm thankful that the Lord's put it in the hearts of... Folks, to be able to worship. And I pray that God will spare our nation. I pray He'll spare our president. I pray He'll spare our land. And I pray that He'll spare our churches. 
no matter where you stand on all this stuff that's going on, we could all conclude that we're living in challenging times. I personally have never known of a time like this something that overall affects churches the way that it is. So what's the solution? The psalmist goes to the Lord. Do you know what? We ought to just continue to go before the Lord. When we get overwhelmed, can I tell you, turn off the TV and go to the Lord. Somebody asked me the other day, did you watch the debate? I said, you know what, that, uh, they put that on too late for me. And I said, you know, for me, I'm not saying for you, but for me. I thought it would be more beneficial and more effective if, um, if I pray about it and I go to bed and get a good night's rest. And do you know what? I woke up the next morning and I was so well rested. And a lot of my friends that tuned in, oh my goodness, they were stirred up. Well, I got a good night's rest. Do you know what? Best thing that you and I can do is take it to the Lord. I mean, all this stuff. Go to the Lord in prayer. Because it's amazing how much the Lord, I mean, we've seen this time and time again, but it is amazing how much the Lord can solve these problems that we can't. If you remember, David said, the battle is the Lord's. These problems are a lot bigger than what I am. I'm not able to fix them, but I know somebody that can And that's the Lord. So the first thing David said, he said, I'm overwhelmed. It's not wrong to be overwhelmed. It's the the world we're living in. Not too long ago, I was in, in, uh, in the mountains of North Carolina. And do you know that uh, those folks down there, most of them haven't even known of anybody that, that had COVID. And they're in like their own little world. And they are anxious over a lot of the same things that, that we are. That's what I experienced in my short time there. It was like it was a totally different world. But in the world in which we're living in, right here, where we are, there's a lot of things that cause us to be overwhelmed. If you're overwhelmed, you go take it to the Lord. Doesn't matter what it is. It can be a family issue. It can be an issue at work. It can be an issue uh, with your boss. It can be issues with anxiety. Take it to the Lord. And he says, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. David's just saying that no matter what I'm facing in my life, no matter where I am, 
No matter what my location is, I'm going to go to the Lord. And he says, and by the way, when my heart, and that's where he's talking about right here. This is a heart issue. He says, when my heart is overwhelmed. Now, a lot of times when we get overwhelmed, one of the outcomes of being overwhelmed is that we aren't, aren't productive. You know, if we can, if Satan can cause us to be overcome with depression, with discouragement, with anxiety, we can't function the way that we normally would function if we weren't dealing with those things. And being overwhelmed can almost cause a paralyzing effect for us. We can say, I don't see an end in sight. I can't see where things will ever be any better. I, I remember my grandmother telling that uh, they grew up during the Depression. And she said we were just almost starving. And she said things were so difficult. And she said there was a point in time that we wondered if things would ever be any better. And sometimes we can look at it and we can get real discouraged. Because, uh, in fact, Brother Mike Rogers and I were talking this morning and he said, you got to remember that things are getting worse and worse. And that's a fulfillment of the scriptures. Well, if we look around and it looks like things are getting worse and worse, we take it to the Lord. We don't we don't have to be we don't have to be in a state that we're always overwhelmed. Why? Because we've got something that will help us and it'll help us a whole lot. David said, when my heart's overwhelmed, I get a little bit overwhelmed when I want to go out and just encourage folks to come to church. And I know that that's a hard thing to do. He says, when my heart's overwhelmed, he says, here is what I want you to do. He says, Lord, when I'm overwhelmed, would you lead me back to something? Something that I've known in the past that I need to be reminded of again. Something that I've experienced before. That needs to be renewed in my life. Something that I can hold on to. When it looks like we're in the middle of a storm. And the waves are hitting the ship. To the point that it looks like. That it could fall apart. What is it that I can hold on to in those times. And here's what David says. He says. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. I believe that that probably describes many, many people right now. Most people that you know, most people that you communicate with, there's some degree of oppression that they feel. Maybe it's their own sin, maybe what's going on around them or the struggles in their families or in their own lives. But I believe that that truly a lot of God's people are overwhelmed right now. And we just need to be reminded of this solution right here. David didn't say when your heart's overwhelmed. He said when my heart's overwhelmed. He says, then, Lord, would you once again, would you lead me 
to the rock that's higher than I. The scriptures teach, and it's my personal experience, that when I start thinking about all of these challenges and struggles and things that are going on in the world around me, I'm telling you what, I get real discouraged real quick. But when I start thinking about the Lord and what He's done for me, and by the way, what He's done for you, and I start thinking about Jesus Christ, and I start thinking about that Jesus Christ is right now sitting right next to His Father. And He knows everything there is going on in our lives. In Jesus Christ, we may offer prayer. We may do it from the heart. We may do it audibly. Through our mind. The words may not be just exactly right. We may not put it together. We may not even be able to express it properly. But that we can take our petitions, whether it be in our cries, as David said right here, or our words, or our thoughts, and we present them to Jesus Christ. Did you know that's why when we pray and we end our prayer and we say in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, is we're taking that prayer. We're not, we're not presenting it to our parents to present. We're not presenting it to the deacons. We're not presenting it to the pastor to present. We're presenting it directly to Jesus Christ. And we're taught that Jesus Christ is on the right hand of the Father and He's there active. What's He doing? He is interceding for us. We may ask the wrong thing. But you know what? Before it gets to God, Jesus Christ has changed it to be the right thing. Jesus, think back. Aren't there some things in your life that you prayed for that didn't come to pass, that you asked for and it didn't come to pass? And you look back and say, you know what? I'm really glad it didn't. I'm glad I didn't get what I was praying for. Do you know why you don't get what we think we need and we ask is because Jesus Christ is there interceding and changing it for us. When I think right now that Jesus Christ is in heaven and He is interceding on my behalf with God, now I'll tell you what, there's nothing discouraging about that. That's real encouraging. When I think about that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins that's I can't even fathom it completely and when I get a glimpse of it that helps me to rejoice when I think about that we've lost some dear friends through these last few months. When I think about missing them here and knowing that there's coming a day 
that I'm going to see them again, I get real happy about that. One of the songs that I believe it was um, Brother Julian Carney requested over the phone was, I love this song. And it describes what brings us out of it. We sang it this morning. There is a happy land far, far away where saints in glory stand. What a great blessing to think about that happy land. And then I think about Romans chapter 8 where it says, He said, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? I want to tell you that first of all, Satan wants to lay some things to our charge. And he does it oftentimes. He has a lot of folks working on his behalf. And right now, there's challenges with the liberties that Christians have faced in the past. But it says right here, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? He says it's God that justifies. In the grand scheme of things, if you consider the rest of the story, there may be folks that throw some fiery darts of challenge to lay some things to our charge, but ultimately... There's nothing that can be laid to the charge of God's elect because he says it's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is on the right hand of God. And he says right here, just affirming what we said, who also maketh intercession for us. And he says, who is it that can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... We're living in trying times. He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. He says, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And then verse 37 through 39. Outstanding. Paul says, nay, in all these things, all of these things that Satan would like to lay to our charge, that would like to discourage us along the way. He says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You're probably not going to hear that story many places. I mean, if you can, if you know of a place you can hear that, you let me know. To hear that in this day and time, in 2020, that there is a people and that they can be classified as more than conquerors. He doesn't just say you're a conqueror. You are more than conquerors through Christ. And then Paul says, I'm persuaded. You know, that's the whole reason that Brother Danny and Brother Steve and Brother uh, 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 brother uh, Chuck and Brother Bradley and Brother Andrew and, and, and all the ministers is that Paul said that he was persuaded and he wanted us to be persuaded and we want you to be persuaded. And that's what he's saying right here. He says, I'm persuaded. I want you to be persuaded. That, the, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature. He says, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
One more verse that we'll look at here. Love this verse right here. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, he says, there is a change that's coming. But he says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're victorious. Not because of this world we're living in. No, it'll overwhelm us. There's battles out there that we ourselves can't fight. But we have one who fought the battles for us. And we know the rest of the story. And because of Jesus Christ, we can be more than conquerors. We don't have to go around discouraged and look like we've lost our last friend all the time. We can, we can live in this world and we can be encouraged and we can be an encouragement to other people. You know, Sister Linda's on the line. One of the things that we rejoiced in about knowing Sister Perry was that no matter what was going on around, Sister Perry was always encouraged and she always encouraged others. Her example was an encouragement to us. We can be encouraged in the midst of all these challenges, knowing who our Lord is and knowing that we're in Him and knowing that we're more than conquerors and knowing that we're victorious over all of these challenges. So the psalmist says, when my heart's overwhelmed, it's life. We're going to experience seasons that we are overwhelmed. But during those times, I tell you, I have this verse right uh, in, in, uh, on my vanity every morning. And I at least, I may, not, I, may not, I may not live it all day long, but I at least start off for a few minutes knowing that I'm not going to be overwhelmed this day, no matter what comes, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. When my heart is overwhelmed, you lead me back to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my rock. He's my strength. He's my shelter. He says, David said, he's my strong tower. And he says, and by the way, he'll keep me from the enemy. David says, so shall I sing unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Brother Bradley said in communicating with him, he said, I just pray that my strength will get better so that I'll be able, as the psalmist says, to perform my vows, that I may encourage others in the Lord. May God bless you.